Peter, Saint Peter, Prince of the Apostles, part of Jesus' inner circle, Peter. Oh, Peter. We don't know really a lot about Saint Peter, particularly his life before Jesus. We know that by trade he was a fisherman, caught fish on the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, how many people have been to Holy Land? You've had St. Peter's fish. It's tilapia and they deep fry it and they spray lemon over it. It's what he did. That was his livelihood. We know that he was married because we know that Peter had a mother-in-law. And that's really all we know about Peter's life. Just first century Jew living in the Capernaum and the shores of Galilee making his trade as a fisherman. Had a family, to what extent we don't know. His wife is unnamed, but we know that that's what he did. And then this Jesus fellow comes along and says, no more fishing for you, Peter, at least not for the tilapia and the other fish that you've been catching. Now you're going to catch people. And Peter says, okay, and drops his nets with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and off they go. How many people in your situation, if someone came to you and said, okay, you're done doing that job that you've been doing for your whole life, everything you've trained for, and you're just going to follow this wandering preacher? How many people would say, absolutely, of course? Not many of us. We'd probably want to go home and discuss it with our spouse, and they would say, are you out of your mind? No. You have mouths to feed. You have to pay for all this, this life that we have. No. So there must have been something about Jesus that led these men to follow him. And indeed, as we know, as the momentum of the Jesus movement goes on, that people were drawn to him and followed him. And so we know a little bit about Peter in his life with Jesus, those three years he spent on the road with Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. We know that Peter is kind of the chairperson of the apostles. He's the delegate. He's the one that will speak on behalf of the other 12. He's the one who will go first. Not because he was the first one called, his brother Andrew was, but because Peter has been placed into this role of authority among the apostles. And so that's why Peter comes across sometimes as a bit temperamental, a bit, in, a bit impatient at times. Right? The one who speaks first and thinks later. And so this is this, who this Peter character is. And in our reading from the Gospel today, we've been spending a lot of time in Eastertide. The lectionary gives to us the chapters of John 15 and 16. A discourse that Jesus has with his 12 followers, immediately preceding his betrayal, arrest, torture, and crucifixion. And he says these things to them. Kind of to summarize everything they've done in the last three years. And he says, this is exactly what is going to happen to me. One of you will betray me. One of you will deny me, not once, not twice, but thrice. I will be handed over and beaten and tortured and crucified. And what does Peter say on behalf of all of them? Uh-uh, 
No way, Jesus. Not to you. Not going to happen. We won't allow it. Of course Peter's going to say that because he's the one who's kind of in charge of protecting Jesus. He's the one of the chairperson. No, Jesus, we would never let that happen to you. That kind of offends us that you would say that we would so easily turn our backs on you. That we would so easily betray and deny and flee from you. And we all know Jesus' response, right? Get behind me, Satan. Peter, you have no idea what you're talking about. Do you forget who I am? I'm the one who called you and you just followed because you knew there's something about me. You've seen and witnessed all these things that I've done in the last three years. You've heard everything I've taught publicly and you've heard those private lessons that you've had with me and the other apostles. And you still don't get it. You still think that I need your protection. You still think that you are able to prevent by your own strength what is going to happen to me. You just don't get it, do you, Peter? And so Jesus reminds them in the gospel reading of what's going to happen. Of what's going to happen. But the disciples are probably confused. They can't hear what Jesus is saying to them. They might hear the words, but they don't understand the deeper meaning. And then, of course, everything that Jesus told them will happen, happens. Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus is arrested. And all those disciples who have this all bravado about how they're going to protect Jesus, they run away. They flee at the, sight, the, the, the slight sense of danger. They're gone. Peter, maybe feeling a little bit guilty, decides to follow the action, to follow Jesus from a safe distance. And because there's nothing good on TV in first century Palestine, this was a form of entertainment. So he goes along with the crowds. I'm going to see what happens. Jesus has been right so far about everything that's happened. But let's see what happens next. Of course, what happens next is Jesus, uh, Peter gets identified as one of Jesus' apostles. And you no, know, I've never even met the guy. I don't even know who this guy is. I'm just here in the crowd just to see what's happening. Just for the entertainment value. And of course, then the rooster crows. Jesus locks eyes with Peter, confirming that indeed everything I told you was going to happen has just happened. And despite all that bravado and protestation that this would never happen under my watch, you've just done the very thing I said you would do. Of course, then Peter weeps bitterly and flees. And then the apostles lock themselves into a room. They've witnessed Jesus' death. They've heard rumors of his resurrection. But who can believe Mary Magdalene and the other women? I mean, come on. That's just fantastical nonsense conjured up by hysterical women. So they lock themselves into a room because they know that Jesus' Jesus' body is presumed missing and they know that the Roman authorities are going to come after them. And so they lock themselves into a room out of fear. They isolate themselves and quarantine themselves because the risk is too great that they too may be killed. But they forgot exactly what Jesus has just told them in our gospel reading. You will be killed. They will hunt you down and they will kill you. Or maybe they remember and they're like, we don't want this to happen to us. So yeah, we're going to do everything we can in our own power to lock ourselves away, to protect ourselves from the authorities. 
And then when the coast is clear, they make their way back to their homes, back to their living. Peter goes back to fishing, because what else am I going to do? I've just spent the last three years following Jesus. He's dead. Well, I guess there's only one thing for me to do. The only thing I know how to do. Go fish. And then Jesus shows up on the shore and performs that same miracle that he did when he first called them. The net's full to the brim. And he reminds them of that first call that he gave to them. You are no longer to fish for fish. You will fish for people. And Peter jumps out of the boat, runs to Jesus. They have breakfast. And then Peter, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me three times? Just to remind Peter. Just to give him that sense of, remember Peter, remember you're the one who said you would never deny me. Do you really love me? So now Peter's got this all weighing on his mind and he's like, yes, you know I do. Feed my sheep. I've got a purpose and a mission that I've called you for. It goes back to the three years. Before you even knew that I existed, before you were even born, you were set apart for this purpose. To lead my church. To be the man who equips all people to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he is risen and that he is Lord. But something strange happens. And that's why we have these readings as we do right before, during Eastertide and right before Pentecost Sunday, which is next Sunday. These same people that Jesus has called to be his followers who denied and abandoned him, who locked themselves into a room, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they are transformed like that. Because we know what happens to them. We'll read about it next week. Peter stands up in front of the crowd and preaches to them. The very people he was hiding from merely a week before or a couple weeks before is now standing in public Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ without fear. They go to the temple without fear, knowing that the temple authorities are going to be looking out for them. They know who Peter and John and James and the other disciples are. It doesn't bother them. These same guys who locked themselves into a room are now fearless. They are now fearless. All the apostles, with the exception of John, get martyred for their faith. They all do die. Not a death by their own hand, or by like, death at the hands of others. St. Peter most famously crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same manner of my Lord. And so once again, Jesus' words come to fruition. But the apostles don't seem to mind. In fact... It's the farthest thing from their minds. Because what they have received with the Holy Spirit is that renewal of mission to which they are sent upon, which is to go fish for people. Nothing else matters. Not even their very lives. They are willing to give it up for the sake of the gospel, but the defining thing was the coming down of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changed everything for them. We can see this in the evidence, as I said, of the stories of Pentecost and of the growth of the early church, how it exploded because these apostles were fearless. Ones who locked themselves into a room and would not go anywhere, now boldly going out into all the world. 
We can see this in the fruit of the lesson that was read for us from 1 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter to the church. And did you catch the first line? I'll read it again. St. Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. So is St. Peter one of those guys that wears the placards, the sandwich boards, the signs, repent, the end is near? No. No, actually, absolutely not. Because listen to the rest. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded and pray. At the beginning of 26 months ago, at the beginning of this pandemic, I got asked several times by several different people, is this plague the sign of the beginning of the end, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? And my answer was, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We look on the news, we think World War III, the war that's going to end all of this, is it on the horizon? Maybe. I don't know. But therefore, says Peter, be self-controlled and sober-minded. To be sober-minded is to have a clear mind, a mind unclouded by fear, a mind unclouded by anxiety and worry and all the burdens of the world that can pull us away from reminding us what truly matters. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving one another. Don't stop. It doesn't matter if the world is upon us and the apocalypse is nigh. The love of Christians for one another must be maintained no matter what, even if the world is ending. Show, hospita show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The expectation is that Christians will continue to meet together no matter the circumstances, to maintain the bonds of fellowship, to encourage one another, to remind each other that we don't have to huddle in locked rooms, that we have a mission. And our mission is not fearfully hiding. It is bold proclamation, even if the end of all things is at hand. Each of us has received a gift. Use those gifts to serve one another. Doesn't matter if the end of the world is here. The Holy Spirit has endowed to us, each and every one of us, specific gifts that only you can fulfill because you are unique in that identity and those gifts that Christ has given you. So if you lock yourself in a room, you are no good to anyone, let alone yourself. But Peter reminds us, even though the end of all things is always at hand, pray. Be sober-minded and self-controlled. Love. Share hospitality. My friends, this is the same mission that we are given. These words of Peter are words for us here today. The words of Jesus, I will not leave you comfortless, are words for us here today. Now when we think of comfort, we think of a warm blanket, maybe a hot cup of coffee or cocoa. And that's, that's, that's part of what the word means. But the original meaning of the word comfort is also the word for strengthen. So when Jesus promises us the comforter who is the Holy Spirit, he is promising us divine strength. Because on our own strength, we will fail. On our own strength, we will lock ourselves into rooms. On our own strength, we will make all kinds of promises to Jesus that we will never be able to fulfill on our own strength. 
But the coming of the Holy Spirit is that strengthener. It's the same Holy Spirit that is poured out for us here today. So as we look forward to the Feast of Pentecost next week, may our prayer be this week and in all days to come, Holy Spirit, strengthen your people. Remind us all that you have given us. Never let us neglect those gifts that you have given us. Equip us for that mission to go catch people. Thanks be to God.